Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina. I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs. And we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, we speak with Harold Koenig, professor of psychiatry and founding co-director of Duke's Center for Spirituality, Theology, and Health. Dr. Koenig discusses his belief that research can be conducted examining the health benefits or risks of religious faith. So let's speak now with Harold Koenig. I could say that my belief is that research can be done to examine the health benefits or the health risks of religious faith. That's very interesting. So the scientific process can be used to discover whether a religious faith is beneficial or detrimental to health. the health of a person. Yeah. And when we mean the health of a person, do we mean, are we talking about mental health, physical health, or everything? We're talking about mental health, physical health, social health, and behavioral health. Is faith a benefit to the health of a human? The research shows that religious involvement is related to better mental health, better social health, better behavioral health, and consequently, better physical health. On a scale, let's say from one to seven, how confident are you that this belief is true? The research is pretty strong in that regard, but you know there are people who, whose religious faith has not been good for their health. So in general, religious beliefs and practices are good for a person's mental and physical health, but there are cases where it's not. So overall, it's a good thing, and there's exceptions to the rule. And how important is it for you to believe in things that are true? It's important for me to believe in things that are true, but determining what is true, there's a lot of leeway there. Sure. But the importance is there. The importance of, of... It might be difficult to discover what is true, but it is important for you to, if it is true, for you to believe that it is... It is important. How do we know that it is true? Well, it's difficult to know that. It's difficult to know whether something is, is true. We depend on a lot of different ways of discovering that. Our our personal experiences is, is one way. How do we know that faith is a benefit overall to people? How do we know that it is true? Well, we can't know it absolutely, but we can know it through conducting research, objective research by observing the effects that a person's religious belief has on their health. What is your best evidence in terms of research that this is true? Well, the best evidence has to do with studies that have been objectively conducted by various research groups around the, around the world, highly credible research groups, and different investigators that are reporting similar findings in this regard. Can you walk me through what a typical study, how it would be performed and how we know what we know? In a typical research study that examines the relationship between religion and health, one might... Now, there are various ways, various research studies and designs that are used to examine this relationship between religion and health. One is simply a survey, where you survey people and you ask them, uh, you know, how often do they attend religious services or how strong is their religious beliefs or how often they pray or read religious scriptures. Uh, you, you, that's part of a survey. And then you 
You also ask them about their mental health, their physical health, and you might even uh, measure their blood pressure or other aspects of their health. And then you see whether or not they are correlated, if they're correlated in a positive direction or in a negative direction. Now, that's a, a single survey. What's difficult about single surveys is you can't determine which is causing the other. You don't know whether the poor health is affecting the religious involvement or the religious involvement is affecting the health. So a better design is to study people at one point in time, measure their religious and spiritual involvement, and then also assess their health, and then follow them for a period of time, maybe for months or even years, maybe decades, and see whether or not those who are more religious at baseline, you know, at the start of the study, whether those individuals end up being healthier 10 years down the line or 20 years or 30 years. What is it about a religious affiliation that benefits a person? You see, religious beliefs and practices work together to affect a person's health. And they do so through providing a way for coping with stress and loss and trauma. That's one of the ways it does it, through psychological processes of coping and adapting to change and loss by giving these changes and losses a meaning. So meaning and purpose for these change is very important for humans. Humans want to make sense of change, particularly painful change, and religion provides answers to that from a psychological standpoint. So that's the psychological um, pathway by which religion can influence health. Also, it influences it by the social interactions that it encourages— meeting together with others, supporting one another, loving one another, so to speak, all of that affects a person's mental and physical health. Also, religious involvement has rules and laws and regulations that affect a person's behavior. So a religious person might be less likely to smoke cigarettes or less likely to binge on alcohol or develop an addiction to alcohol or might be less likely to use drugs those kinds of behaviors and perhaps less likely to have sex outside of marriage. And so they have a lower risk of venereal diseases and HIV and gonorrhea and AIDS. So there are the psychological, the social, and the behavioral pathways by which religion affects health. Are we making a distinction in this case between religions or are we saying that any, any religion has this positive benefit on a person? So um, most of this research, probably 90% of it, has been done in Western countries, such as the United States, Europe, Canada, where the majority of participants are Christian. So about 90% of the studies are in, in Christian participants. So we can pretty much generalize these results to Christians. Now, there have been a number of studies in other religions, in Islam, in Judaism, and devout practice in any of these religions seems to be correlated with better health, whether it be Buddhism, a devout Buddhist, a devout Hindu who practices their faith according to their scriptures, a devout Muslim will have better mental health and consequently, and usually better social and behavioral health uh, and better physical health than a person who's not engaged devoutly in their practice. So since it occurs across religions, what is it that the person is gaining from the religion? There are many commonalities within religion, certainly within the Western religions of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, where there's a belief in a personal God. And in many respects, the practice of Hinduism and Buddhism also involve a divine being that is, in Hinduism, it's the supreme God. And of course, there are other manifestations of the supreme God, but there is still one supreme God. And in Buddhism, the Buddha actually serves this God because the Buddha, you know, you go to Thailand, you have these large, large images where people pray to the Buddha. So the Buddha serves as, as the divine being. So something about the worship and the devotion to God, you know, 
with using the term generally, the, the transcendent, and takes a person's eyes off of themselves and begins to focus on something outside. And that seems to help. <laughs> when you're focused on yourself and all of your own issues, that just really, you know, you become attached. And, and not being attached to kind of the earthly things and being attached to something divine, such as God, and that, that seems to help people cope and, and address suffering, particularly if the religious belief system um, emphasizes both a love of God and a love of neighbor. Because if either one becomes out of balance, problems can result. Let's say Tommy is sitting next to you and Tommy practices voodoo. And he doesn't necessarily believe in a higher power or a God, but he practices voodoo and he believes by sticking pins and dolls, he's helping himself and helping others. So we wouldn't expect him to show this benefit because in his practice, there's not a higher power. Well, that's a good question. Of course, we don't know the answer to that because no one has ever studied or compared, you know, people who are practicing voodoo sure. versus another religion. But if that person has devout beliefs in the voodoo, then that person may benefit from that practice, particularly if it involves, you know, a sense of doing good in the world. Because, you know, any belief, any belief that involves a sense of doing good in the world and caring and loving for your neighbor is going to be beneficial. So it's the act of doing good in the world, or is it the act of the higher power or the supreme being that is the secret sauce that is driving this? It's, it's both. It's both. It's the combination of both. One or the other will provide some benefit, but it's the combination of both. And part of it is that they do interact with each other because a strong belief in God will help a person to love their neighbor because that person feels that God loves them and therefore from the love that they experience from God, that enables them to love their neighbor, who might be a rat, who might be, you know, uh, not particularly social or not particularly uh, engaged in the social exchange. They might be somebody who is even out to get them to get them. So religious beliefs give people a greater motivation to love one's neighbor other than the simple social exchange of you scratch my back and right. I'll scratch yours. Maybe a thought experiment will help me understand. So sitting next to you is Tommy. And now instead of Tommy believing in voodoo, Tommy believes that Buddy Holly, the singer who died, he believes that Buddy Holly has rose from the dead and Buddy Holly is a god now. For the purposes of this thought experiment, Buddy Holly is not a god. He's a dead musician, but he believes it. If he is deriving benefit from his belief that Buddy Holly is a god, even though Buddy Holly is not a god, what are we saying that he is deriving this benefit from in this case? Well, um, you know, we do have people who have delusional disorders that believe all sorts of things. They believe Buddy Holly has risen from the dead, and and so that's a delusional disorder if, if it causes dysfunction in their life. Now, if it does not, if that belief, if there's a belief that enhances their ability to function in the world, that improves their relationships with their family and with, with their colleagues, and they do better job, they're, they're functioning better in life, um, then, then that is not a delusion. That is, that is a belief. Uh, it may be a strange belief, um, but it's nevertheless a belief that, that enables them to function better. So it would be a positive belief. Now, so we're not saying whether these beliefs are true. We're just saying how these beliefs are functioning for the person. That is correct. We are not establishing in any way that there is a God or that Buddy Holly has risen from the dead, 
We're not trying to do that. We're just trying to see whether or not people who believe and practice according to established religious beliefs that have been around for thousands of years, whether those individuals have better health than those who do not have those beliefs. Now, if you believe something to your core and it's a false belief, but it's helpful, we're not calling that a delusion, but if it's not helpful, we're calling that a delusion. Is that right? If, if there is a fixed false belief that is causing problems in one's social and occupational life, then that is not shared by, by others in one's social and religious community. So then delusions aren't shared. They're not shared by others, but they're firmly believed. You cannot dissuade the person from the belief. They are fixed and they are believed very firmly, but they are not shared with others in their social or religious community. Now, if they're shared by others in their social or religious community, that's different. That's not a delusional belief. So shared false beliefs are not delusions, but individual false beliefs are delusions. They, they can be if they're interfering with functioning. Now, there are you know, mass social beliefs that are delusional that, hurt, that, that cause problems with in the world. Those, those are also considered delusion. It has to do with functioning, really has to do with, are you functioning socially, occupationally, relationally better or worse from this belief? So let's suppose that I believe that I'm a billionaire. Okay. And because I have this belief, I'm a nicer person, I give money to all these causes, and my friends thank me for being such a nice person. And the truth is, I'm not a billionaire, but I believe I'm a billionaire. So I have that, let's say, delusion that I am a billionaire. And this belief is helpful, but it's not true. So I guess it's, in that case, it's not a delusion. It's a helpful belief. Well, if the person is a billionaire, <laughs> believes he's a billionaire, he's giving money to others, then that is going to have consequences, negative consequences for him and for his family. So that could be a delusional belief if he believes it and, and it's not true. In the case of a religious belief in that case, could we have then religious beliefs that represent a delusion and then religious beliefs that represent a belief that is helpful? If that makes yes. sense? Yes. Yes. In, in, fact, in fact, they are on probably a continuum because many people have said, in fact, Sigmund Freud said that religious belief was an, an, a neurotic illusion similar to a delusion. So... You know, there, there is that continuum, I mean, but it has to do with the context, too. For example, if you have a shaman who believes that they can heal people and, and raise people from the dead, well, let's say heal people through miraculous actions on their part, that would be, you know, a shaman in, in North, uh, in Alaska, that would be a belief that would be socially uh, acceptable, culturally acceptable, uh, and it would not involve a delusion. If you had a Lutheran accountant who says that they can heal people uh, through miraculous kinds of activities that is, you know, not consistent with their beliefs, that might be a delusion. But it has to do with the context and the social, you know, and cultural and religious context. I'm not saying this is the case, but if future studies came out and it said that believing in a religious tradition didn't seem to have a benefit over, let's say, people who, I don't know, exercise frequently or had other kind of social groups, then would you reduce your confidence level in this idea? Well, from a scientific standpoint, certainly, if research showed that people with religious beliefs and practices actually had worse health. Uh, now, of course, that's not an easy thing to study because people often become more religious as they become less healthy. 
because they're coping, they're turning to religion as a source of strength and hope when they get sicker or they're suffering. You know, people who are happy don't need religion. They got plenty of money, they don't really need it. They so those who are so it's oftentimes the poor health that is driving religion. But if you could absolutely show, you could you could show that that religious involvement causes people to function worse in their life, to behave in ways that are unhealthy, to become more depressed, then, then that would certainly affect the credibility of, of the scientific understanding of how religion affects health. Now, for the person with a strong religious faith, that might not make any difference. How so? Well, because, because they believe in God and they've experienced God's love. And no matter what research says, you know, why would they, why would they believe that when their personal experience trumps what researchers, researchers are always changing because they have limited knowledge. They have limited knowledge. Research itself is, is, can be very faulty depending on various biases that people have. So there are lots of problems with objective research. Um, and so a person's own experiences over time that have convinced them they've experienced the change in their lives that have been positive and enriching, that will trump anything that research has to say. Is there a self-selection there then? That if these are people who already follow a tradition, a religious tradition, would, are there studies where I'm trying to get closer to like a double-blind placebo-controlled study where we could put two people, in, we could put a, people in two different groups, but I don't know if that's going to be possible. It this, is. It, it is? is possible. Okay. Absolutely. Tell me. You can do a double-blind, and I didn't, I didn't mention, I talked about the cross-sectional and mm -hmm. the prospective studies, but I didn't talk about the randomized controlled trial. Please. So a randomized controlled trial is where you take people, volunteers, mm -hmm. and you randomize them to either... A, in our case, a religious intervention or a secular intervention. Okay. And so you have people who volunteer, and, and they could be. Uh, usually, it works better if you if you're if you're recruiting people who are religious to some degree, and you you randomize them to either a religious intervention yeah. or a secular intervention, yeah. and then you follow them over time. You see whether or not who gets better more quickly. What does that study show or those studies? That study shows that it's the religious nature of the intervention that causes the effect because it's it the, people are randomized. In Randomization equalizes everything. Sure. In that study, what is then the special sauce that the religious tradition is giving over the humanistic intervention? It's It has to do a, to a considerable degree with the beliefs that are that are being used to cope with let, let's say for example depression okay you have a group of people who are depressed okay sure. and somewhat religious and you randomize them to either a religious or a secular intervention then um that religious intervention this is what we've done we've actually completed and published a couple of studies like this um that religious intervention then utilizes the person's religious beliefs to counter the negative self-talk that is driving the depression. So people, a lot of people, a lot of times depression is driven by the negative self-talk that people say to themselves, um, I've lost my loved one. I will never be happy again. I didn't do what I needed to do. I didn't love them enough. You know, I'm just a bad person for not doing that. So that, that drives depression. So the control group, in that sense, was not a cognitive behavioral intervention? Yes, it was. It was a cognitive it was a It was a standard cognitive behavioral intervention versus a religiously integrated cognitive behavioral intervention. Okay. And so I'm just trying to understand sure. what—and I'm sorry, I don't know this study. No, that's good. I'm trying to know—so we have two cognitive behavioral interventions. Yes. And then— on the religious intervention, what is the extra received? So the extra that's received is two frameworks are exactly the same. Uh -huh. 
They deal, they use the same techniques in terms of trying to alter negative cognitions and improve behaviors that okay. are that help to reduce the depression. They both do that. Okay. Except that the religious cognitive behavioral therapy uses religious scriptures in order to change the dysfunctional cognitions. You know, so they emphasize, let's say, the Psalms where or, you know, or or scriptures that talk about uh, you know, God's love for people, et cetera, et cetera. Um they use that to justify changing the person's negative views about themselves in terms of forgiveness, you know, confession, forgiveness. It might even involve a little ritual of confession. The person confesses whatever it is that they're guilty about to God, and then they receive some kind of absolution. So the ritual, the religious rituals, not only the beliefs, but the religious rituals both contribute to the beneficial effects that the cognitive, the religiously integrated cognitive behavioral therapy has. So we're saying it's the rituals and the beliefs. Yes. But not necessarily the truth value of whether those rituals and beliefs reflect. It has nothing to do with the truth value. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Should we believe in things that are helpful and useful, but not necessarily true. If you could absolutely distinguish what is true and what is not true, yes. But the problem is we just, we just don't know what is really, really true. I mean... But assuming that there is an objective truth in this case... The, the problem is this. In our case, we will not know the objective truth of whether God exists until we are dead. Well, for Then we will know. But not here. Not here and now. We will never know that. Well, That's for, why you need faith. Faith well, is that step into the unknown, into the non-objective, into the, you know, into the whatever. You are listening to Being Reasonable. On WHUP, we continue our conversation with Harold Koenig, professor of psychiatry and founding co-director of Duke's Center for Spirituality, as he discusses his belief that research can be conducted examining the health benefits or risks of religious faith, coming up after this short break.
Hi, this is Mark Solomon, host of Being Reasonable. Do you like the show and want to help? Please subscribe to Being Reasonable as a podcast and maybe even write us a review. Thanks. The, the problem is this. In our case, we will not know the objective truth of whether God exists until we are dead. Well, for then we will know. But not here. Not here and now. We will never know that. Well, That's for- why you need faith. Faith is that step into the unknown, into the non-objective, into the, you know, into the whatever. Well, for example, down on your yard, there's uh, some pine cones. And there is either an even or odd number of pine cones. I don't know what the objective truth is. You don't know what the objective truth is. But it could be said that there is an objective truth that doesn't matter what we believe it's just true. So when I'm talking yeah. about an objective truth, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> it was the power of pine cones. So you could you could count those pine cones. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing. And you can you can that's an objective truth that you can observe. Yes. Okay. Right. So religion doesn't involve those kinds of truths. Should we believe in something? that can't be shown to be true. Cannot be shown to be true. Okay. If it is true. It could be or, true or, or it could be false, right? Or if it's false, it can't be shown. That's a good point. If it's false, it can't be shown to be false. Okay, so I would say, you know, if it helps your functioning, if you're right. functioning better, if you're a better person, if you have a better family, if you're living healthier, if you're stronger, if you're more successful in, in your life and in your relationships, um, so and you tr- are believing in something that cannot be proven as true or false, then yes, that is good for your health. Interesting. <laughs> Is it possible to have a situation where two people have, let's say, for the purposes of this thought experiment, two false beliefs that are helpful? Do we find ourselves in a situation where people are running around with false but helpful beliefs and those collide with each other because they might not be objectively true? For example, they might not might not be okay. But for example, I'm thinking of one good example. Okay, please. Well, the divine nature of Jesus Christ. Okay. Christians believe that that Jesus Christ is God. Okay. Muslims do not. They Perfect. highly revere Jesus Christ as a as an important prophet. Maybe you know one of the most important prophets. But they do not believe he is divine. So we have two religious traditions that we could just say for the purposes of this discussion are helpful for the people who believe in their respective beliefs. Yes. But one or both or none might not be true. And regardless, it causes problems in this world when you have these two sets of beliefs that collide with each other. That collide with reality, maybe. That's that's true. That is true when it results in behavior where people start to harm each other. Okay. That is absolutely true. So um, that is why, um, you know— But that's not good for health. That is not good for health. Yeah. Um, That is why the emphasis, again, is on this balance um, and some degree of humility in one's beliefs that— allow for the love of neighbor, the acceptance and the love of neighbor. So as a Christian viewing a Muslim, the Muslim would be considered the neighbor. Yes. And therefore, how does, from the Christian standpoint, how does a Christian love that Muslim? How do they do it? And so part of it has to do with respecting and honoring that person and their particular beliefs, even though they are different from the Christian's beliefs. And also within Christianity and the Bible, it says that God takes care of those outside of the church. 
which means that it's God making the judgment with regard to whatever for the Muslim. And also the Quran says that as well. It says that that in the end, God will is all-knowing and will make the final decision. Well, I'm thinking in the sense of when there are opposing beliefs, for example, a vaccine just came out for the virus. Let's suppose that half the country believes that vaccines are helpful and we should all take vaccines so we can all live longer and not die. And the other half of the country believes that vaccines are dangerous. Nobody should take vaccines because they're a control agent of somehow. And those are diametrically opposed beliefs. And it could be said that there is an objective truth there that is colliding with beliefs that may or may not be helpful. And I'm seeing a situation where a belief could be helpful, maybe, to a person, but not be true. And then eventually that belief colliding with reality or other people's beliefs. And that I might have, and that might be convoluted. No, I, no I, I see it. I see it. In that case, naturally, you're looking at the long term. You're looking at the long term here. So, um, yes, if people do not get vaccinated, we won't get to herd immunity, and therefore others might be at risk for the consequences of their actions. So the individual with their belief that this vaccine is something negative, um, that may, in some respects, uh, if that belief is is supported by others, <laughs> that, that belief might... Uh, but that situation, you're recommending to go with the objective truth. In that situation, I mean, in that situation where you pretty much know, based on scientific evidence, in this world, in this natural world, that's, that's in this what I'm natural saying. So, world. So when, so how is this different? Then we should go with the objective evidence and assume, and assume that there is an objective truth that we can get relatively close to in that scenario and we should go for the objective truth if we can regarding whether vaccines work or don't work but when it comes to a religious tradition we should just go with the religious tradition if it's helpful but not necessarily true um well again you know religion involves things that go beyond just this natural world that's that's the thing so how do we you know, know in the, in, that well, we know that because we cannot, we don't know it 100%. There's no scientific evidence of it. That's where faith comes, comes into play. And by faith, what do we mean? We mean belief that there is something that is outside of this natural world. And in particular, depending on the belief, but through most religious beliefs, it involves God. Do you mean faith is belief without the evidence for that belief being true? Belief is the evidence of things that are unseen. Mm-hmm. How That's do we what have evidence for things that are unseen? It's uh, through life experiences. And that's, in some respects, data. A person's life experiences is data. So if somebody has a life-changing religious experience that changes their lives, that makes them a better person, um, that's data. That's data for that person. And when they they tell other people about their experiences, it's not proof, but we're we're similar. You know, people are generally similar, and if it helped one person, why might it not help another person? Well, let's suppose Tommy has changed his belief again. Now, Tommy, let's say, has no belief. Tommy is an atheist. Okay. And let's say Tommy has a personal experience that having no belief is true, and and he surrounds himself with people who believe the same as he does. Yes. And he sees benefits from that. He gets support and, from it from others, and they have a common belief, so they support each other in that. Right. And so we're talking about faith in things that aren't seen. Faith in, yeah, faith in, in uh, things that are not seen. Faith in that one knows that only that which is seen exists. But Tommy says, if there is no evidence for it, then 
There are no objective e evidence that we can see. And, and just say it doesn't exist. And just say, Tommy says, it, if there's no evidence for it to exist, then it doesn't exist. Unless it's that, that's what Tommy says. Then how do we? We say to Tommy that uh, there is objective evidence of people's experience. And he and he has experiences. It. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, there is some objective evidence from people's experiences that you can. It's it's subjective. It's not. You know, they they say, but you can also observe their lives to see if they're actually better. So if a person who has a religious transformation ends up better, they look better, they they act better, they're more loving, they're more kind. That itself is evidence that that belief has made a difference in their life. Now, if the Tommy, age, if, if Tommy, Tommy has a and Tommy believes pretty much the yes. opposite of some of a of yeah. someone who's religious, and if he has a positive life, a fulfilling life, then what are we saying about Tommy? Well, depending again on Tommy, let's let's look at Tommy. So if if Tommy goes through difficult life circumstances, get losses, and yeah. gets sick, sure. and is suffering, and his, as we all do, because that's and, a human, right, right, uh -huh. and he believes, and and he has no belief that that this has no meaning. This suffering is just suffering. It's just random. Yeah, and and if he has support for that belief, then he will get some social benefit just from the support from others, but. As he is there alone by himself, his belief that that suffering has no meaning or purpose will cause him harm. How? Well, it'll make him pretty depressed. So <laughs> him will, having no if he's belief if you're in a supernatural being will make him depressed, whether or not the belief in the supernatural being is true. That is correct. I, I believe that is correct. Um, I'm going to ask you a personal question the, now. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let okay. me, I'm still not done with, with Tommy here. Okay. So, uh, so Tommy, um, when he is alone and he is suffering, he's in pain, and he sees no purpose to that pain, that is a psychological situation that will drive him down. If if it goes on and on without relief, so that That's sounds like a that sounds like a testable. You could definitely test that. That, that, that sounds if you get a randomized trial of of a hundred atheists, let's say, and a hundred people who followed a let's say Christianity, and then, you inflict pain on all of those individuals, well, it seems like equally, Christian people who are Christian will overall be happier. They would people. have they would have the belief that God has meaning and purpose to their pain and that he can transform that pain into something good. So they should keep going. So that's going to be good. They're going to be more hopeful, hopeful. Whereas the atheist who has no belief will not have that hope. Personal question. Would you rather believe in something? This is a very general question. Just generally speaking, would you believe in something that is helpful but not true or not true and helpful? Okay. Um, I, would, I would hope that it would be true, particularly if it had benefits. If, it, if I experienced a lot of benefits from this belief— a lot of you know benefits in terms of my relationships with others, my sense of well-being and and happiness in life. Um, then, I would, um, I would believe in that as true. With the, with the idea that I don't know everything, I am not eternally all-knowing. I am limited in time and space here on this planet in this natural environment, so I don't know everything. So therefore, there is that benefit that outweighs the risk of uncertainty about the truth. So 
You hope that it is true. You don't know that it's true. It is true because you say you wouldn't know unless you died. Yeah. So, the default position is to go on believing it. Yeah, if it makes your life much better. I mean, what what difference does it make if it's true or untrue in the very end? If your life is much better here on Earth, because you won't know if it's not true, you won't know it. It's it's not about resting in peace. It's you're non-existent. You won't know it. If it's true, you're good. Is there a downside? There's really no downside to this, as long as you keep the balance. Love of God and love of neighbor. The problems come when that gets out of balance. So we're saying that if we had a nation full of atheists, then that, by definition, would be out of balance, and a lot of problems would result. Well, um... You had a nation of atheists, and they were all caring and loving towards one another. By definition, they don't believe in a they God. W- they wouldn't believe in God. Again, we're talking theoretical. <laughs> this is a highly theoretical. <laughs> then it, it would be out of balance. And uh, in that case, then what I just said would not be true. Because if they were all able to do that, now humans have not shown that they are capable <laughs> of doing that outside of religion, even within religion. They've shown they're not capable of doing it. Uh, you know, if if somehow they were capable of loving their neighbor and having meaning and purpose in life, even when they suffer, then we'd have a good country. It's It's all about how you relate to your neighbor, really, especially in the country, you know. But see, it's that belief in God, though, because you can't you can't really rely on your neighbor that much. Because they're self-serving, you know? <laughs> so if we were to find some foreign country somewhere and just hypothetically, we were to find in this country that the majority of people were atheists and we were to find in this hypothetical country that most people are happy and they're nice to each other and to their neighbors, what would that say about that country? Well, you know, again, this is highly... <laughs> We haven't we don't have the experience of that yet, really seeing that a a, a, a truly a country because only about five percent of the world is atheist. And in fact, because of the birth rate among Christians and Muslims, which is higher than among atheists, it's actually going down in the future. But if you had that country and they were loving each other, you know, but the thing is that be, because we're self-serving, is that even possible? Is that possible to truly love one another when everyone is totally self-serving? Well, I really appreciate this conversation. I love this. <laughs> I love. I love having these conversations. I really do. And goodness, this was fun. I really like. I like talking about this kind of thing, and I suspect you do too. The reason why I do this show is. I find that we're living in a time where people have very strong beliefs. And as I was getting to before, these beliefs can be diametrically opposed to other people's beliefs. And I think what people are thinking as what they hold are objective truths might be personal truths that they think are objective. Oh, yeah. And it's getting us into a great deal of trouble. Especially especially without this um, belief, you know, of loving your neighbor. That really seems to be of great, great consequence. And even Jesus said that it was equivalent to believing in God. It was second to believe in God. But it was like the first commandment. It was like it. What's our answer? Humility. Humility about what we know in this world, just humility, and an open mind to evidence that we all together experience. Well, I really enjoyed this. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you so much. Absolutely. Oh, I enjoyed this. This is great. Really. I, just, I, can, yeah. I can tell you that this is the hardest, these are the hardest questions. Now, I have spoken everywhere in the world, hundreds, maybe thousands of times, 
and with media and with skeptics, this is one of the maybe the toughest questions I have ever been asked. Oh, well, I take that as a... That's a compliment. All right, thank you. (laughs) From the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week.
Something's better than nothing Cause 